You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your fearless leader, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by sexy Irish Sean and fantastic Rick. So on this episode, we actually had a couple of things we wanted to talk about. First of all, Deliverance finished and I survived the Kickstarter. Um, So we wanted to talk about all sorts of things related to kind of looking back on the Deliverance Kickstarter. And then also this Facebook is doing a weird thing with uh, verification of domains. And that is causing people to run into some massive problems. And we just thought it'd be good to at least bring it up and let you guys know pitfall what not to do in order to get your entire facebook account shut off really it's it's more like if you do something wrong you will not be able to advertise for your game which is kind of awkward especially if you are bringing that game to kickstarter so yeah so as everyone knows there's been this ios 14 update which has changed the, the dynamics of facebook advertising and one thing that facebook requires now is that your ad account is linked to your domain. So this is a bit uh, problematic for us even because we work with so many different websites, so many different domains that, you know, we either have to verify it for them or we have to, they have to verify it for themselves, but we don't really like owning someone else's domain. So uh, what, what we do is we use TeamViewer and we actually just remote someone else's computer using their ad account. We just set it all up for them. But this has some some pretty massive security risks. Well, I don't want to say security risks, but redundancy risks. Because we've we've had so many of our uh, clients' accounts just auto-banned you know, through Facebook's AI, our sort of modus operandi was always to recreate the banned account. And obviously you appeal, recreate the banned account, and you, just, you get the ads back up on another account. But now because your ad account is linked to your domain, if your ad account gets blocked you can't do that you're literally completely locked out of facebook there's only two your domain is blocked the domain is blocked with an inability to recover it right yes the only thing you could do is try to reach out to facebook and wait for them to get back to you or create a new website with a new domain i think there's a, a certain things you could do to try avoid this and one would be try to make your ads as safe and brand friendly as possible <laughs> so you know, anything that, that might be a little bit gory or a bit violent, you want to avoid. Any trigger words you want to avoid. We had one uh, client who was selling um, a, a card game uh, that had to do with cryptocurrencies. And Facebook allows advertising of, of crypto products, but it has special rules. So I, I think because he used the word crypto or cryptocurrency within his ad text, I have a feeling that's what this, you know, the AI picked up and, and blocked them. So you want to be very careful moving forward, always play it very safe. And I suppose this is where having marketing professionals you can consult on your ad text and on your imagery would be very helpful because there's really no way to combat this. And I really see it as being maybe the, the, the death blow to Facebook ads because if big ad accounts, you know, get blocked or banned and we've had big accounts, you know, unreasonably blocked. And if there's no way to recover, people are going to look for a competitor to advertise the products. If yeah, if you're advertising on Facebook and you're doing a specific landing page for Facebook, definitely use something that you're not don't use your brand domain. Use something that you can like like you're talking about the sort of semi disposable. 
like uh, get my game now, you know, dot com. And that way, like if that dot like, info. does happen. Yeah, because <laughs> you're only using it for this marketing purpose anyway. Um, you may come back to it. You may not. But the, the idea is just to have a page set up where people can submit their email or go to the next step in your in your process for your for your crowdfunding campaign. With a generic ish domain, you want to you want to have your name in there somewhere. But with something like that, it's easy to pick up shop and move if you need to. Like if Facebook blocks your domain, domains are like ten bucks these days. So you can just grab a new one, take your assets, and just move it over. So that would be my recommendation when it comes to domains on Facebook with using for Facebook advertising. Yeah, it's uh, so there's this little trick that we can use. So first of all, if it's just a landing page for a particular Kickstarter campaign, like for example, let's say my deliverance page, that was extraordinarily valuable in the months leading up to my Kickstarter. And if it was down for, let's say a month, that could represent like 600 emails that I did not collect, right? I mean, that that's that could be a huge difference on launch day. Instead of 900 people back in the game on launch day, it could be, you know, 700 or whatever, right? I mean, it's a pretty big difference. So what I would do in, in a case like that is I would have my website, you know, the website itself is not blocked or anything like that. I would purchase multiple domain names, or if it happened to me, you know, I would, you know, reactively purchase a domain name, switch my website to the new name, which is nice because I have a team that can do that. You know, Next Level Web, of course, you know, it's it's convenient that, that I run that company but you know really it's the people the the point is that you need a person that can help you unless you yourself have that expertise you definitely need to be able to quickly switch your domain name over and as sean alluded to it is you need to be prepared for the auto ban you know and that's that's where the problem is coming from is facebook trying to react to this iOS 14 stuff so that Apple, you know, still allows them to, to collect information. They have to make all of these changes. And because uh, a majority of people that live in first world countries use iPhones versus Android or whatever, you're, you know, it's, it's a huge problem for Facebook. So I think that they actually um, rotated a little bit too far and are, you know, some of the problems that they have with their system are really coming back to haunt them now. They don't have any clear channel of place that you can go when you're unjustly banned by the system that where a real person that has enough authority to be able to do something about it can be contacted. You have people that are like the first line of defense. You know, when I, this is, you know, a year ago when I was banned, my my personal account was banned for sell, uh, selling a board game that they thought was like a cyber terrorist organization and that I was advocating for a crime syndicate. They had the people that were on uh, the Facebook support, they said, this decision is final. There's nothing you can do to appeal it. Do not, you know, you, any, any further attempt at uh, fixing this is, is going to be met with failure. And of course I did not take them at their word. And I'm thankful I didn't because we, I managed to get it to an internal team that did have the authority to, to change it. And they, and of course, you know, here I am advertising accounts with, more redundancy, so that never happens to me again. Facebook's been going crazy with the automatic banhammer. In fact, another recent personal experience is uh, I created a Facebook profile uh, for my work. I I like to keep my life balance where you know my personal's personal and works works, and I don't like to mix them up. So in this case, I created. That's I used weird. To, yeah, I know. I know what's going on with that. You know, I just don't want to see you work things. You know, what while you trying to hide? My pool time. <laughs> you know, if it's an emergency, because I, I always still scan emails. If it's an emergency, it's fine. Not a problem. But, you know, I don't want to, 
look at work when I'm trying to relax and enjoy my personal life. But anyway, so I used a work email to sign up and then I started working uh, on an ad, managing an ad and everything was fine. No issues. As soon as I hit the publish button on that ad, that's when the problems happened. <laughs> everything was fine all the way up before it. But And so then the first thing they asked, um, well, the first thing they want to do is want me to verify my email. So they sent a verification email to my work email and I hit the button and it got authorized. Well, then they wanted a phone number. So I used a, a, an extra work phone number I have that I use for work, put it in. They sent me a text code. I put it in. It got verified. Then they wanted me to upload an immediate, another personal photo of my face. So I went ahead, did a selfie and put it on. Then they wanted a copy of my driver's license. So then I took a picture of that, put it up. After all those steps, I, you'd think I'd be verified by then, right? You know, I, I verified my email. I verified my phone number. I verified my face. They got my ID. They know where I live. They got all my personal information. And then after that, he looks like We're a terrorist. Sorry. Yes. Um, I was I was permanently banned for not acting like a normal community member. So apparently um, a word of warning is if you're going to start doing ads on Facebook and you don't have a Facebook account, you might want to create a Facebook account maybe six months before you do that ad yep. and do some little things. Because if you create a Facebook account and you publish an ad immediately, you're going to get banned. And I'm actually still in email communication with Facebook over it because I don't mind the ban part, but I do mind the part where they ask for my ask for my personal information and then they ban me. So now they have my personal information without my consent. Because if I'm yeah. not going to use their service, you know, services, I don't want them to hold my personal information. So that's a big issue I'm right. having with them. They already but, handed uh, it over to the NSA. Yeah, well, that's okay. Yeah. NSA I and I are good. Biden we're good. We're good buddies. Conversation right now. Yeah, that's okay. Well, what could, it could have been is, you know, you're technically not allowed to have two accounts. So when you verified all that information, like, oh, yeah, but there really is a Richard. So you're banned. You know, that, that possibly could have happened. I'll tell you another thing that all of this impacts. It impacts pledge managers because guess who owns back your kit? Not you. <laughs> all right. So <laughs> you don't own the domain. So which means you can't run conversion ads on Facebook to back your kit because you can't verify the domain. Now. We were able to work do a workaround for this, but it's clunky because you can still install the pixel on your backer kit page. What you have to do is you have to run a conversion ad to your website that you know talks about the product. Says now you can you know late pledge here, and you click a button. That button takes you to backer kit, and that way they it's all connected. But that's the only way you can run a conversion ad um, is you you have to basically first send people to your your domain to, and then to BackerKit. And then when they purchase, it will be registered. I haven't personally used BackerKit, but can't you do like a stealth forwarding where it's like, um, it still has your, like you, you buy a domain name and then when you use that as a link, but it goes through BackerKit, but it still shows your domain name. Well, you, you have to do like a domain masking thing. So Facebook is kind of sketchy with that. Any kind of domain masking or for, forwarding especially doesn't doesn't work. But um, except for in certain rare circumstances and never for conversion ads, you know, like you'll see, you'll see certain companies, you know, you click on a website and, or you click on an ad on Facebook and it goes to blah, blah, dot project dot com or, or whatever. And then it forwards you to a Kickstarter page. That is that project domino website is actually recording some information before passing you forward. And the ad on the Facebook side is not going to record a conversion, you know, if you back a Kickstarter. 
but it may be possible to do the stealth forwarding because today so many websites are using CDNs, uh, content delivery networks for like their imaging and all their hosting and files and stuff. On top of that, I'm, I'm thinking they might be able to go through. You just say, hey, Backer Kit's my CDN. They have all the content. I'm just, you know, they're providing it to me through my domain. Yeah. Um, well, they do allow traffic ads, but to mm-hmm. actually see the, the main thing, you know, like, for example, we had a, a Christmas Carol RPG that we did a long time ago that was or where we did a bunch on Kickstarter. But then we actually made more money on Backerkit than we did on Kickstarter. You know, we, we were able to say, like, hey, for every, you know, four dollars that we, you know, that we um, spend on Facebook, we make 20 on Backerkit. Um, that type of information was available because we were able to put a pixel in on backer kit for, you know, Facebook pixel. And it was great, you know, as far as, um, you know, just being able to record the conversion where it came from. And uh, that's really useful for Facebook. If we can show Facebook who purchased and how much Facebook will start showing the ads to the right people that will purchase. And it, you know, more information is, is better when it comes to purchasing, but this, the, the people that are most likely to click on the ad are not necessarily the people that are most likely to buy. And if you can teach Facebook the difference, it will reward you um, substantially. And uh, so, yeah, I think that's the uh, the main kind of the main challenge here. Yeah. And for those of you that are freaking out um, about this, um, you could still keep track of your conversions. You just have to be a little, you know, if, if it doesn't work, there's a couple of things you can do. Oh, wait, it's on backer kit. Never mind, I lied. <laughs> Freak out. <laughs> I was just saying, like, if, it, if, you, if, it, if it's a pixel for like, your site, you can actually use, like, Google Analytics. Because mm-hmm. when Facebook clicks, no matter where you click over, like, let's say you're on the Facebook platform and you go to an external site. No matter what external site link you click on, it always adds a Facebook ID code to the end of mm-hmm. that link. So, like, I look at, I see it all the time on my Google Analytics. I'll go in Google and be like, oh, what's this? It's, oh, it's to mydomain.com, question mark, FBID equals one, two, three, four, five, six. You know, it goes on forever. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's definitely, uh, Google Analytics doesn't quite see it sometimes as a referral. But yeah, all you gotta do is look and that, you know, it came directly from them. And then you can take a look at the traffic to see if it converted or not. Yeah. Um, it is a lot more work. It's a little more manual work, but you can still yeah. see clicks coming from Facebook. Pixel, though, I believe is for retargeting and, and, and for, for, eyes and ads and stuff though right is that what you yeah use? yeah we uh there are ways um using for example utm codes you know we can mm-hmm. we can track or even bitly you know you can mm-hmm. you can track using different different links that will show you you know oh this this amount of money was made but uh what we want is we want facebook to know who paid and how much and you know you know, for, for each person that clicked, how many people actually bought and who were they? They don't tell us that information, but what they do is they use that to better target for us and um, find similar uh, profiles. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, in some cases, I, one of them, uh, one game that we, uh, that we worked with was, um, this is a while ago now, but Legends of Novus, uh, we were working with Die in the Dungeon from Wes Woodbury and we, um, he had a Legends of Novus, which was coming in on a boat and he had like 200 extra copies he needed to sell and so we we set up some ads for him and and let them run and we eventually got to like for a 50 dollars game it was like three dollars per sale for facebook and we sold all 200 copies and um they were all sold before the the boat was unloaded i think so which which is really cool we just want to have that ability for for other games and some of the things we've talked about are some of the challenges, you know, and I guess my conclusion would be to have somebody that you can talk to when you do 
run into a challenge. And of course, you know, the three of us crowdfunding nerds here are, are very willing to, to chat with people and, and help. Our advice is always free. If you want us to do it, then, you know, that's, that's uh different, but we're, you know, always happy to at least answer questions, you know? Um, but you definitely need somebody that kind of gets this stuff that you can talk to if you want to. Um, I mean, you're going to have different degrees of success depending on how much you put into it, but just the right people in the right place can make such a big difference. So about a few days ago, Deliverance Kickstarter ended. And what was that grand total again? It was $314,374. Woo! Yes. You could almost almost buy a condo in San Diego with that much money, uh, <laughs> or you can buy a mansion in the middle of the middle of middle middle of the U.S. <laughs> but, <laughs> I was so, telling uh, my backers, I was telling them that um, if you see me with a uh, roughly three hundred thousand dollars of board games in a in my new little condo in Bermuda, then you know that I gypped you. <laughs> so so you did $314,000. Is that what you expected or was it less? Was it more? What, what? That's a great question. So I had different scenarios and I based off of my backers and then my funding, a- average funding goal and whatnot. So I did this calculation. So um, the realistic range, I actually placed between 240 to... 352. So $240,350 was my, what I, what I thought was a realistic range for like the, the bottom end, my actually lowest, the lowest range was $144,000. So like, I'm willing to, to do this, but this is what I think based on my numbers that I could get. We actually ended up raising about that much on the first day. Uh, 141,000, I think was what we raised in the first, you know, 12 hours. But my realistic range was between $240,350 to the kind of the mid to high of $352,121. <laughs> now, now what it sounds like, it's like, oh, any Joe Blow can like make a game real quick, put it up. I just made $314,000. Well, we personally here know it's not that that's, that just couldn't happen. Um, there's a lot of work involved and also there's a lot of costs involved. Yep. So, I mean, $314,000 sounds like a lot of money. But I'm expecting that a lot of that chunk is going to be sucked up in in costs. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you can go over, but can you go over some of these costs with us for out of yeah. three hundred fourteen thousand dollars? <laughs> for sure, for sure. So the first thing is Kickstarter takes its pound of flesh. You need to uh, well, it's really five percent off the top is what Kickstarter is going to take for its fee, and then you've got your three percent roughly it's like 2.9 percent plus a transaction fee which is like 30 cents a transaction it basically boils down to like three percent is what stripe is going to take off so um you know here let me bust out my calculator and put 314 that already sounds expensive it is now i see why kickstarter likes to promote big products yeah. um, even at the, yeah. the even at their was a one percent cut i mean that's just crazy yep yeah, so um, if I were to go, let's see, $314,374, let's uh, multiply that by 0.08. That's uh, $25,000 that Kickstarter and Stripe fees are going to take. Just over $25,000. That's like a, um, a, a cheap import card. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And everyone, <laughs> wow. everyone tells you budget 10%, but it's actually closer to 8%. 
um, that you need to budget. Uh, we, we always want to budget more for um, uh, wiggle room. So, but it's about $25,000 that Kickstarter and Stripe are going to take. And that's assuming that all of the credit cards clear. And by the way, I have had out of 2,717 backers, I had 60 so far. This is just a, a few days later. Uh, so at the time of this recording, it's uh, the 12th of July. Um, we ended on the 8th of July. I have 62 backers whose credit cards didn't didn't make it, My so, which is a really small in, yeah. percentage. Yeah. <laughs> some of them are dollar backers. Some of them are, are not. You know, The highest backer that their credit card didn't clear was at like 300 and some dollars and you know and they and they have this is pretty common they have like two weeks to credit or to fix that information uh but after that you know you you'll you'll probably lose some of those i i would assume that we we're going to get about half of those people to to get their to fix their pledges and everything so so that's the first cost that you really have to kind of eight percent to say hello (laughs) <laughs> yes, eight percent to use Kickstarter's fee, and actually, you know, we we talked about this um, a while ago on a podcast that we did in relation to what does like what value does Kickstarter actually provide? You know, what benefit? And you know, we we did this ratio analysis of of how much Kickstarter was responsible for and how much we you know the the company itself was responsible for as far as funding and backers raised. And we came up with a number that basically said, you know, for every six backers that you bring, Kickstarter is going to bring like four on average. And that, you know, uh, to a, let's say the most extreme end, Kickstarter will bring about 20% of your backers and then you'd bring 80%. In other words, if, if your Kickstarter project sucks, it's Kickstarter will not be able to help you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kickstarter won't fix it. <laughs> if you don't have backers, if you don't have but a crowd, you won't Millions find. of people are going to see it online yeah. <laughs> on the bottom of the list. Go down exactly. 5,436 of the day. Oh. Yeah. Customers are fickle. <laughs> they'll, they'll say like, yeah, this, I saw this and it doesn't look good. Actually so. speaking of their rating system, um, how do you feel about their rating system? I know we discussed it a little bit, bit off offline. Um, how uh, your game seemed to have disappeared occasionally mm-hmm. and didn't seem yeah. like it should have. <laughs> yeah, so that was that's a that's another whole can of worms, really. But the that was one of those things that I didn't expect. So in all of my calculation, I envisioned we'd get uh, like 500 people on day one, and then the last 48 hours, I would get 750 people, and that I would get like an average of I, I forget, you know, 75 per day, I think was my average range. And, you know, we'd end at $300,000 or so. We did a little bit better than that as far as numbers wise, but we actually made almost $20 more per backer than I thought we were going to make. And we had fewer backers than I thought we were going to have, uh, which was really interesting. So we ended up doing better than my kind of mid-range predictions. But, you know, it was... was Kickstarter was like a strange opponent of, of that. They, they um, helped a little bit, but I, I feel like, you know, we've, we've run about 50 or more Kickstarters now, right? So looking at all of the data, if you have a campaign that does, uh, that does the numbers that Deliverance did, it's one of our most successful campaigns. I th- actually think it's our second most successful campaign. We might have distilled actually surpassed that one. I'm not sure. But uh, Distilled is doing really phenomenally right now. And Ascension Tactics was like the number one campaign that we've done. But 
if you look at uh, like biggercake.com, it's a website that we use to, to check it out. We were averaging like number four or five on Kickstarter for our category. And all of a sudden on day five, we dropped from like four or five to like 160. And our numbers didn't change from day five to six to seven, but our positioning was dramatically dropped. Like it was a big difference. Um, I, I also found later that there were some some programming errors that only happen um, on. Uh, so we were looking at uh, Cake Track is a website we look at each day to see how many backers came in and that sort of thing. And ended up finding that we had two listings and the the the, the founder of Cake Track. I talked to him on. Um, Facebook. And he said, this is strange. The only time that this happens is when Kickstarter manually changes something like that is so weird. It happened right around the same time wow. that we just dropped off, off of the, the list. So it's a conspiracy. Anyway. Yeah. So there, there's that. Well, here's another interesting thing. <laughs> if you go by the numbers, your average Kickstarter marketing campaign in the first 48 hours, you'll do about a third. And then pretty much you'll also do a third towards the last you know couple of days as well, and then 30 in the middle. You hit like over 50% in the first 48 hours. I think that like your kickoff premiere was like too successful. I, yeah. I, it seemed like everyone's just like, oh, day one, go, 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 go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, it was interesting because if you look at so what I find is the first three days is very commonly you add the first three days together, and that's oftentimes about 50% of your of what your total campaign should raise. And there are exceptions, you know, um, Planet Unknown raised like $30,000 in their first three days, and they ended up at like 260,000 or more uh, by the end. And, you know, there were so there were a lot of different uh, reasons, there were a lot of different reasons that it could go off the rails but deliverance it was quite interesting we did have a an extremely large explosion we uh really surprised a lot of people coming out of nowhere with an audience that was extremely passionate about the game and that sort of thing and we were doing a fantastically strong uh number of backers and if we were to have kind of maintained what i would consider a typical trajectory for a game like that you you would have seen a funding amount that was probably uh, closer to half a million or mm-hmm. or maybe six hundred thousand just just because of the um the way that the you know the exponential increase of the the mid campaign and you know the the number of followers and that sort of thing would would work but we went from a very strong number of backers like 50 backers a day 40 backers a day down to like 14 backers a day 16 backers a day and um I think that it was uh, it was strange, um, and I you know I have my suspicions as to why that might be. I don't think that it'll be common for most board games to um, to experience that, but I think that our project was in some ways kind of hidden from the mainstream view. Shadow banned. Yeah, we were kind of, kind of shadow, kind of shadow banned, I guess. The golden question is then: Do you have regrets going to Kickstarter? Will you? consider GameFound moving forward? You know, I do think that GameFound is a legitimate consideration moving forward. I don't regret going to Kickstarter because I think that Kickstarter, everybody is used to it. And we had something like 86% of our of our users had backed a Kickstarter campaign before. So I think that it's really, you know, the, the platform itself makes 
transacting a lot easier because people are used to it. If we were to go to GameFound, we would have had to get a lot more people to buy into using a different system. You know, it's kind of like shopping on Amazon versus shopping on like my own personal website that I make. It's just going to be a lot easier to get you to buy the same product on Amazon because you're used to shopping there. And so that's the true advantage of Kickstarter, whether, you know, for me, whether or not they push your product, you know, that's, you know, we didn't get the project we love or anything like that, but even still it's worthwhile because of their system and their user base and, and that sort of thing. Um, so I, I don't definitely don't have any regrets going to Kickstarter. I think that it was a really awesome first campaign, you know, regardless, I, you know, whether or not my conspiracy theories are like completely ridiculous or founded either way, it was a great move and we may honestly do it again in the future. It just depends on what happens with game found and, you know, I would love to use GameFound actually in the future. You should reach out to be... Kickstarter and ask them, hey, we noticed that there was a significant jump. Can you comment on this? <laughs> See what they yeah. say. Well, yeah, I mean, you know what the answer is going to be. It's like, there was no significant drop. You're crazy. Or that's Crickets. normal. <laughs> that's normal. We're not responding to this one. Yeah. And, and you know, for everybody listening that that says, you know, hey, there is a significant drop. It's called the mid-campaign slump. You should have expected that. Go look at, our, at the uh, Deliverance Kickstarter campaign. And you'll see that, you know, in the mid-campaign slump, we had a significant drop about day seven or eight, maybe day six, something like that. We had a significant drop while in the mid-campaign slump. Mid-campaign slump begins at 48 hours in, you know, around day six or seven. That's when like the big dump, you know, it was like a hundred backers a day or more. And then, you know, we entered our mid-campaign slump and then we entered this like deeper level of slump. You know, and uh, and it's very starkly clear. Then we uh, ended up getting some notoriety from actually the, the Dice Tower. We became Tom Vassell's pick of the week and the people's crowdfunding or crowdsurfing pick of the week. And our backer number more than doubled our average backer number per day. And um, we kind of, you know, ended on a real high note because we had so many people following. But it was it was really curious. It It's strange patterning. Very strange patterning. So um, anyway. So Angie, you're four days out of the Kickstarter, and I'm sure it being so busy and it being such a high, how's your emotional emotional state now? Are you relieved that it's all over or do you sort of miss, miss the buzz? How, how are you sort of feeling after all that excitement? A little bit of both. I am relieved that, you know, I feel like my heart the amount of caffeine that I had to consume in order to survive the Kickstarter was was way higher than a, than a human should consume. And I'm like planning on how to come down from the caffeine high. You know, it's like, all right, I need to budget the caffeine that I get per day because it's definitely going to be, you know, bad for me if I continue this way, you know. And so and then on the other side of things. So I'm at, on that side. I'm glad that it's over. It's definitely going to allow me to slow down, you know, and on the other side, I, I miss being Mr. Popular. You know, we had like thousands of comments and messages and everything across our, our, our social media, Discord, Facebook, everything was just so active. You know, Kickstarter has like over 2,700 comments on it right now. And it, it was it was a lot of fun. You guys were basically manning the fort and doing everything that needed doing for our clients and whatnot. And uh so, you know, I know that I can't just be like, all right, guys, I'm going to be gone for another month or whatever. But, you know, it was um, it was 
very fun, a lot of fun. So I definitely am am feeling a withdrawal of sorts of maybe it's dopamine that I get from signing on every day, looking at the funding number, seeing it increase, going to bed, waking up in the morning, say, oh my goodness, we made 1500 more, you know, or whatever. And um, so that's, that's, I definitely will miss that. I look forward to that. Uh, the next time I think that um, 30 days, a 30 day campaign, a lot of people are kind of, you know, there's this big debate that goes on about 30 day campaign is too long now, maybe 17 to 24 days is like what most people say you should, you should, you should aim for. And while I do actually think that that makes a lot of sense for people that have established audiences, I think you need 30 days. If you, if you have a game that is newsworthy, if you think it's newsworthy, you need to give it time for news organizations to pick it up. Okay. So in crowdfunding nerds, we've talked a lot about tons about pre-marketing. I think we got that one covered sort of, but there's always new stuff. Talked about the start of the Kickstarter campaign. We just recently talked about the mid campaign. And now I think it's time for Andrew to spill the beans on the end of the campaign. What were your goals and what kind of challenges did you face towards the last week or week and a half of your, of your campaign? Yeah. So that's, man, that's a great topic. And I think that it's something that our creators really need to prepare for. So the one thing that I understood after doing all of these Kickstarters and seeing the way that they they operate, there are a couple of major goals that you should have. The first one is to convert as many of those followers that you have been building that you can. It's really important. So for Deliverance, we ended up accruing about 4,700 followers, uh, project followers. These are people that hit me, hit the remind me button or notify me on launch even before the campaign launched. And Kickstarter will actually track those people and tell you how many of them converted. So we actually ended up earning a 29% conversion rate, which was quite high. If I, let's see, if I look at the dashboard. Okay, right now, um, some of our project followers like unfollowed, you know, if they decided they wanted to buy it or not buy it or whatever. We have at this moment, 4,531 project followers. This is like four days after our campaign. Um, 1,320 of them converted, which means a 29% conversion rate. That number is the percentage of the conversion rates pretty high. I think that um, that's kind of among the the better conversion rates that uh, that I would hope to see as a as a creator. Um, I've seen conversion rates commonly, you know, as long as people expect, or, you know, as long as you show, I guess, good stuff that people want to to back, you're going to get like a, at least a 15% conversion rate. And you'll be able to track that through like from day one on, of your campaign, how many people converted. And so the entire last week of the campaign is all of the work, all of the marketing work that I did revolves around making sure that I'm giving people what they wanted so that when all the other people come back, they see what they wanted to see and end up, you know, backing the campaign because the, you know, a lot of people were cautiously optimistic about Deliverance being a Christian game. You know, it's like, well, this, the, the premise sounds lame because it's a Christian game, but it looks great. I'm just going to see how it develops and uh, decide if I want it later or not. So my goal was at the 72 hour mark, roughly, I wanted to put out an update 
that we, and this was, I believe, update number 11 that we did. I wanted to put out an update that said all the things that we did. You know, it was like uh, Bilbo Baggins there and back again, you know? So we ended up putting out an update that explained what it is that we that we did, kind of where we're at right now, and all the things that I've revealed. So we talked about the campaign and how we revealed these mini bosses called lieutenants that everyone really loved. We showed the add-ons and the, I mean, we did t-shirts that everyone wanted. We did neoprene mat that everyone wanted. We did uh, um, all sorts of other angels that we revealed new characters that you could play. And I wanted all of that to be located inside of a single update. The reason I think that's so important is because at the 48 hour mark, all of those project followers are notified that your project's ending in 48 hours. And I wanted them all to see all of the important information in one place. So update number 10 or whatever, uh, 10 or 11, was was that update it ended up paying dividends for us we did have the you know the the big increase in conversions at the end and i was i was really pleased with that we did an email blast to our people we had, we did actually a couple of email blasts in the final two days a, a lot of our marketing was focused around the explosion of the final two days you know just trying to get all the people that we had built up on our email list all of the people that we built up on our social media like discord and facebook our facebook group to take action. So that's, that's kind of what the entire focus is about. Like in the last week is just that final 48 hours, making it a really big explosion. I had this thing that I was teasing in front of the uh, deliverance. Well, the, the backers of deliverance for a long time, which was the ninth angel. And the thing about our angels is that they, they have the angel character card, 15 uh, talent cards and a miniature, like a miniature figure. So it's about $28,000 per angel stretch goal, you know? And so to reveal that at the right time was really, really important. We ended up revealing that last angel with like, I want to say four days to go, something like that. And we were right around $250,000 raised. So I think we needed 200 and I thought it was like 280,000. So we were at $252,000 and I unveiled this new miniature and you know, new character, final character, which was two hundred eighty thousand. And what happened was the backers, they were clamoring for a new angel. But when they saw the price tag, they were like, "Oh, I don't know if we're going to be able to make it." You know, it's like a big price jump if we're making you know two to four thousand dollars a day. You know, twenty eight thousand dollars is a long way to go. I knew though that we had all of those people coming in, and we were going to smash that goal. So to reveal it too early would have been a huge momentum killer. So, you know, you have this burst of momentum at the end of your campaign because of all those followers. That's where you can unveil a big stretch goal to kind of knock down and everyone's going to feel really good about it. And so that's where, that was another thing that we did. We, we really worked to um, kind of give people that stretch goal candy at the right time. And that's really important. So Andrew, how did your Facebook ads perform? And is there anything different in that arena that you would do in a subsequent Kickstarter? Well, the first thing is our Facebook ads, uh, I will say Facebook ads in general are more effective before the Kickstarter in the pre-launch phase when you can get emails and give people more information and that sort of thing. Our, our deliverance launch email was like, 
immediate i mean just it made a huge difference huge difference in in our campaign and uh, like instant funded us but the post post launch kickstarter has a couple of problems with their with their system that number one chief chief among which they don't actually allow you to integrate a facebook pixel with your um kickstarter so you can't see how many people that click on your ad are actually buying um, all you can do is just select, uh, basically see how many people clicked your ad, right? And so Facebook begins to optimize for people that click, the gullible people that click, but may have no intention of actually purchasing. So I think that that's actually a problem that kicks, that will cause Kickstarter to kind of, well, is causing Kickstarter to kind of fade in the, in the value of, um, you know, as far as marketing goes, you know, it's, it's game found just you can integrate a pixel with GameFound and it's going to give you more valuable information. It's going to give Facebook more valuable information. And so that's kind of the, um, you know, one of the big, I guess, challenges with uh, Kickstarter. If you can verify the domain. Yeah, exactly. I will say that um, we did have a multi-pronged approach. So one of the things I always try to teach people or I, I tell people is if let's say you're willing to just mortgage your house and throw the entire kitchen sink at your Kickstarter to to get it to fund, it's a mistake to throw all that money into Facebook ads. You should diversify. So I know that's kind of an extreme way to put it, but let's just say you have like $20,000. Our, our marketing budget was $20,000 for Kickstarter. We put some of that into Facebook. I think uh, over the course of the campaign, about half of that went into Facebook. We put some of that into another website, uh, which was an external site that we found our customers tend to frequent, um, which was the Babylon Bee. And, um, I know some people might, might not like the Babylon Bee, but it made me a lot of money targeting properly. So it's uh, worth at least considering for the, um, uh, just a, a type of game. It just shows the, the type of, you know, wherever you, you need to go wherever your audience is going. So no matter what type of site it is, if, if they're there, then you should, should advertise there. Right. Um, we've had some serious money earned from, uh, like sites like thegamer.com for RPGs and, you know, other things like that. But um, so anyway, that we did board game geek ads. We did um, a board game geek contest that a board game geek contest that that was really great for us. We actually got to number four on the board game geek hotness list because of the board game geek contest. And I think that that was a pretty big deal. One thing about the, the you know, the Babylon B you mentioned, they recently had their MailChimp account shut down. and you had planned to do an email push with them as well. Did that get, get sent out? It did actually. Um, okay. It ended up that, you know, whenever you try to take a, take on a site like that, they, they're, they're pretty active as far as their willingness to defend what it is that they, what, you know, what's theirs. And so they ended up getting it resolved like right away. Uh, so it didn't actually hurt me at all they were banned like the day before my email was supposed to go out but they got it resolved later that day and ended up getting it done so that was really interesting as well i think it's a um, reminder for you know you, you listeners if you're capturing emails through uh, like a platform like mailchimp always have a personal backup of your emails somewhere on your own personal computer because you don't know what could happen you could get banned or something could happen and you don't want all yeah. your emails to be locked in another system. You want to hold them yourself. Yep. It was it was a, a big scare for me. I definitely created a backup of my emails on MailChimp just in case. You know, what if it was some 
you know, accidental thing that caused me to be banned? You know, what if they thought I was a terrorist organization by the name of Deliverance? If that exists, I don't know. But yeah, it's it's kind of a big if deal. If it doesn't, so, it does now. Yeah, it, it it really does suck because um, we rely on these large platforms because they're so streamlined. And they are, they have so much weight in the internet community that like whatever, like, you know, MailChimp, it's like guaranteed your mail email will go out because they just are the, the, you know, the main footprint. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's Facebook. <laughs> it's, it's all these big things. But at the same time, you're at their mercy because they're the big guys. And if they say no, guess what? You yep. probably ain't going to win that one. I mean, yep. Andrew got lucky getting his personal uh, Facebook account back, but. You know, I, I haven't been lucky getting my work account back. Uh, but, but yeah, what, like it, and this is true for everything. Back up your hosting, back yep. up your emails, back up your ads. Like even if you like, say you do ads for Facebook, uh, do screenshots of them so you have them available in case something happens or you want to post somewhere else to something similar. Always have something to look to just in case something happens. And it's also good to have just for, for spreading out. In fact, another thing you didn't, uh, I don't think you mentioned was also your, uh, your social community advertising you do with some of the uh, YouTubers mm -hmm. online. Um, yeah. If I were to rank the effectiveness of my various ad initiatives, you know, this one's a little bit loaded because there's so much that goes into this, but my email list was number one by far my email list and Facebook group, that virtuous cycle that we set up early. That was by far the number one thing that drove the success of our campaign. You know, just really, really excited um, passionate, uh, community. That was the most important thing that we did. And that came through a lot of, a lot of Facebook ads, developing a landing page. We did some conventions, we did other things like that over, over time, but Facebook ads is probably the champion that, that really drove the, the people to into those systems, you know, the email and the Facebook community, but the, you know, and that, that drove, that was really the chief driver behind all of the organic you know, people sharing with other people that happened. But then, so that was our first, by far the most effective thing was our pre-launch marketing. I'll just say that, you know, that led to our email list and Facebook group. Then the the next thing that was, that was quite profitable was the Babylon Bee. I would say we made about four and a half times our return, or, you know, we got a four and a half ROI or rather return on ad spend was about four and a half dollars in for every dollar that we spent, if that makes sense. Then Board Game Geek, was one of the next, you know, I would say the most valuable thing we did there was probably the contest that really surprised me. I didn't think that it was going to be as much of a mover as it was, but combined. So the contest combined with all of the other engagement that we had on board game geek was responsible for us breaking into the top five of the hotness list. And we earned like you know, it, it says right here, boardgamegeek.com, 53 people jumped in just just there. And then, uh, you know, a bunch more. But that was probably like number three. And then let me think, number four, I mean, I guess Facebook is probably higher than Board Game Geek. Like, let me, let me see. So, yeah, our launch email, then Babylon B, then Facebook is, you know, Facebook ads. We had a lot of Facebook, you know, people coming from Facebook ads. Then Board Game Geek, we did ads. Oh, and then uh, the Dice Tower. So we earned a lot of um, excitement from the Dice Tower, but that was most, that was entirely organic. We had a lot of, and, uh, you know, I didn't, so I didn't pay anything for, for that. You know, it was just something that they really liked the game. And so they, they talked about it, you know, really positively. 
I would say that the the reviewers and everything, like if you were to wrap all of those together after that, that would probably be the next best spend. Below that would be kick track. We, We invested into kick track. I don't really think that moved the needle for us very much. It was one of those things that I think, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm glad we made like 17 sales from KickTrack, you know, as far as the, the, you know, discovery, or I'm sorry, as far as the refers track. And then backer kit after that, I think in the first two days of a campaign back, we did backer kit ads that were very high return on investment. We did backer kit ads in the middle of the campaign, like alongside our own Facebook ads, and it didn't really return very well. And then, so we, we eventually paused that and then we turned backer kit on for the last two days and they, they got a, a decent return on investment that made it worth it uh, for the last two days. And so that's probably kind of where all of our various marketing ranks. And th- I mean, there were other giveaways that we did that were just not really worth it, honestly. Did you do the um, board game revolution giveaway? We did. And that one, I'm kind of a little mixed. The, the cost for the return was was good to, to you know just to get the um kind of the, the word out there but it was i would say more of like a break-even thing uh we did some other giveaways with other websites i don't want to mention the other websites that we did i just felt like they were not worthwhile um the board game revolution giveaway is the only one that i would say was probably worth it uh, this concludes this week's episode 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 of crowdfunding nerds. If you guys enjoyed this episode and want to hear some more, visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. Also, if you're interested in some marketing and need some help with your marketing on Kickstarter, uh, visit us uh, at nextlevelweb.com forward slash Kickstarter, and we'll help you out in your Kickstarter journey uh, to success. And that's all the time we have for this week. We will see you all next week and stay nerdy. Yeah.